I'm grateful for Bob's warm introduction, and it was a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, I uh, wouldn't consider myself esteemed, nor would I consider myself a theologian, nor would I consider myself the the uh, modern-day incarnation of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Um, I think Spurgeon was a good guy. Um, one thing that I don't share with Charles Spurgeon is I'm not a cigar smoker. And uh, Charles Spurgeon was a theologian. He was a church planter, um, preacher, missionary extraordinaire. He ran a large megachurch in, well, probably the first megachurch in London, uh, I believe in the mid, mid-19th century. And he was also a cigar smoker. And I heard a story this week that he would greet people on Sundays with a stogie in his mouth. And a lady walked up to him and asked him, you know, when, when will you stop smoking cigars? And he said, well, I'll stop smoking cigars when it becomes uh, excess. And, when, and then she asked him how he defined excess. He's like, if you ever see me with two cigars, I think that's probably excess. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought I'd share that. I think he's, it goes to show that most saints have flaws in some, in some capacity. So. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad to be here, and I, I'd like to start off on a light note, but I think the, the passage that I want to share is, uh, is difficult. Um, in the book of Job, so I think the first thing we can do is we can open up our Bibles to the book of Job and open up to Job chapter 6. <coughs> And the title for this message, I'm not one to normally uh, give titles to messages, um, but this message is on the agony of life. And this is, the, this is kind of following where uh, Paul left off last week when he had mentioned the value of suffering and how um, convicting it is to, to realize that much of the church has places a much higher value in suffering than we do here in America. And it dawned on me that I think suffering is a really big topic and we need to do kind of more work um, on on just um, thinking about suffering and also um, thinking about suffering and also just going through suffering. Read what it's like for saints to go through suffering. So Book of Job is a great book for that. Um, so Job chapter 6, so I'm just going to give the context of Job chapter 6. So Job at this point has been afflicted with torment from Satan, and his children have been killed. Um his wife has told him to curse God and die, and his three friends, quote-unquote friends, if you're familiar with the book of Job, um, his three friends have come to give him comfort, and well-meaning comfort, but not uh, helpful comfort, uh, at the close of chapter 2 of the book of Job. Uh, in chapter 3, uh, Job curses the day of his birth uh, and spends about a chapter doing that. And then in chapters 4 and 5, Eliphaz the Temanite, not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, rebukes Job for cursing, for cursing the day of his birth. Kind of gives him a high-handed theological response to his cursing of his birth. Uh, and so chapter 6 begins with Job's scathing response to Eliphaz. So in other words, he's, he's responding to the accusation that his cursing is, is unwarranted, and it's here where our passage begins. Um, I would like to have somebody read it. I'm actually going to read it myself. <coughs> I chose a, a version of the Bible I guarantee no one here has. Um, it's the, I think it's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I don't think anyone has it, but it's, it, I like it because it's like really elegant English. So but we'll let, uh, Bob, do you have ESV? Which ver- version do you have? Okay. Uh, Andy, do you have ESV? NIV? Does anyone have ESV here? Okay. That's fine. Uh, Andy, could you come and read NIV? 
I want you to start, if you could read Job uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 13. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you can you read that. That's fine. That's fine. We don't need. Good, thank you. And I'd like you to guess, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to read it in my version, but I'd like you to just kind of listen to the passage for what it really says. Um, Job is a book of the Bible where there's a lot of truth, but the truth is on a sliding scale. Um, it's all true, but the truth that's there that we can fully embrace varies from passage to passage, from chapter to chapter. It varies on the season we're going through, and it varies on the person who's going through it. Um, and so I feel like sometimes when we read scripture, we kind of, um, we tone it down if it's somber, if it's hard to read, if it's hard to understand, especially in the Old Testament, we tend to tone it down. But I feel like we really need to le let the words of scripture just hit us hard and just the darkness of this passage. So I'll just read it. And this is, again, in the Holmes Christian Standard Bible. If only my request would be granted and God would provide what I hope for, and that he would decide to crush me, to unleash his power and cut me off. <clears throat> it would still bring me comfort, and I would leap for joy in unrelenting pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength that of stone, or is my flesh that of bronze? Since I cannot help myself, the hope for success has been banished from me. So I just want to, for a moment, I just have a moment of silence. Um, if you want to read over this passage or just meditate over it for a moment and just let it sink in. We're all good? All right, good. So, um, so I did want to continue in Paul's, the theme of Paul's message last week, which was suffering. Uh, we do value suffering because of its redemptive value, but I feel like we don't often understand the existential struggle of those who go through a lot of suffering. Um, people who go through suffering, um, it can be, sometimes it can be so overwhelming. It can be, um, people can be shaken to their the very b state of being. Um, and we often don't um, see all of the elements that's involved in someone else's suffering. And I think it's because we don't see these things that we often end up playing the role of one of Job's three friends, which is to pretend to know 
how someone is feeling to pretend to know what the source of their pain is. Um, and oftentimes the result of, of not knowing um, what someone else is going through is that we give bad advice to them. Um, and so there are a few observations that I think are important to really understanding the, the gravity of this passage. But I think the main truth of the passage um, is that um, part of the reason why suffering is so horrible is that um, the end of suffering is not always in sight. Um, and it's not easy to see the redemption of the suffering. Um, Christians can sometimes, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this yourselves, um, I'll, I'll open it up to discussion a little later, but um, sometimes we can, um, in, in the moment of the onset of suffering, Christians can sometimes say, God's going to redeem this. Um, and we can say it a little bit too quickly. Um, we can say it a little bit lightheartedly. Um, and the reality, I think, in the book of Job that speaks to the value of suffering, but also to the, the, the difficulty of suffering, is that uh, Job did not readily see the end of his suffering. He didn't see the redemption of his suffering. Um, and so that's kind of the key point that we want we need to keep in mind when we uh, consider this passage. So I'll just go through the first portion of the passage, and we'll just do some exegesis or some interpretation. So Job, <coughs> starting in Job 6, uh, verses 8 through 10, I'll just read again really quickly. If only my request would be granted and God would provide what I hope for, that he would decide to crush me, <coughs> to unleash his power and cut me off. It would still bring me comfort, and I would le leap for joy and unrelenting pain, that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Um, so beginning in uh, verse 8, uh, Job is not here uh, asking for a divine permission to commit suicide. I think that's the first thing we need to get out of the way, um, because it can certainly sound that way, because it's pretty dark. But he's not, he's not asking for uh, suicide so much as he's asking for God to end his life for a purpose, and that purpose is so that he would not suffer beyond his breaking point. Um, and you remember from earlier in, in the book of Job, if you're familiar, his wife says to Job, curse God and die, you know. And Job's response to that was to maintain his integrity. He's like, shall we accept good from God and not, you know, hardship? And so he maintained his integrity. He, ma he maintained his integrity in light of the suffering from Satan. Satan said he's only blessed because he's only uh, blessed because you've blessed everything he has. He only worships you. He's only grateful because of all the good things you've given him. If you rob him of all those good things, he'll curse you and die. He'll curse you to your face, you know. So Job maintains integrity. And in, th in this passage, when he said that um, he wants to die, what he, what he means to say is that is he really is conscientious of the fact that he has a breaking point. He has a point upon which he's going to lose his integrity, you know, and uh, that's a sobering thought. Uh, so some scholars, and I, the only scholar I can readily recall uh, is my former pastor, John Piper, from Bethlehem Baptist Church. <laughs> um, he suggests that Job actually did suffer to the point of breaking. And, uh, and the basis of that and, and losing his integrity and the basis of that is found in his confession in chapter 42, verse 6. Job does confess to God uh, over what he says. Um, so he may well have, uh, he definitely reached the point of breaking. In other words, he, he lost all sense of, of, of what was going, what was, what the universe was about, what God was about, how, how um, the righteous are sometimes subjected to a lot of suffering. Um, so he definitely lost his bearing, but... Whether he committed a sin outright, I think he did pass the test that Satan had for him or that, that Satan, you know, um, gave to him. But, uh, but he did certainly break. I definitely want to say that. Um, does anyone here um, know of someone who has suffered in a way to Job? Someone who's been uh, inflicted with a, a long-term infirmi long infirmity, so something like a long diagnosis of cancer. Um, 
And does do we have breaking points? In other words, is there a point at which um, either yourself or the people you know have gotten to the point where they've just broken down and just lost uh, any sort of bearings on on what life is all about? And I'll start, Bob. Anyone else have any sort of a, either a friend or a relative who's gone through? I have I have one story. I just don't want to take up all the time. If someone else has a, a testimony, a negative testimony to share about suffering, um, I have a friend, uh, a couple, a couple um, who I lived with for a short time. They had a large house and wanted to uh, uh, rent it out for extra income, and they were. Um, they were unable to have children. They got married at a very young age uh, for our culture, 18, 19, right around that age. And they had, I think they were in their, in their late 20s at this time, and I was living with them, and they were trying to have kids for about 10 years. And the wife went, uh, had a medication that caused her to be infertile. She couldn't conceive. Um, and so they tried different regimes of medication dosage off and on. She had a miscarriage, and I, I didn't get to see – I didn't witness the um, the initial mourning over the miscarriage, but I, I remember her, um, her her outlook and worldview had so dramatically ch- shifted um, that she was saying that um, essentially, and she was she was communicating to people that she believes that we'll have children in heaven, and it wasn't necessarily I wouldn't call it heresy, but it was one of those things where it's a speculation that. It, it, it comes from so much pain and so much meaninglessness and so much lack of, of um, lack of, um, you know, theological categories, lack of understanding of how God relates to pain, that there's just an attempt to try to make sense of her suffering and, and her desires and God's desire to want her desires fulfilled. Now, f- thanks be to God, she did eventually have, in fact, they have four children now, four healthy children. So it's really good news. But, they went through about a dozen years of trying um, unsuccessfully and they had prophetic words that were false. So in other words, there were times when a woman at her church would, would say, you are pregnant right now, go to the doctor, you know, find out. And it was, it ended up being not true. So a lot of hardship and a lot of disappointment. Um, And some of it coming from the church, coming from people who, who um, um, at least claim to know more about the will of God. And so, uh, does anyone, uh, do we long for death? When suffering comes, does any, do we long for death? Do we long for an end? Uh, has anyone, like I said, known that point? Um, I, I don't want to necessarily call it suicide, but it can certainly look like suicide. 
Um, I've been through times in my life when I would say there's kind of been a demonic force of depression, a longing um, for escape. Um, but there's also been a time in my life when I have gone through suffering um, where I, I grew tired of living. I grew tired of, of going through what I was going through. Um, and uh, Bob, did you have any testimonies like I that? escape the pain yeah yeah and a friend of mine uh well i should say a friend of mine a friend of mine's mother once told me that there's a point where a point of suffering where christians forget about theology so in other words we we tend to, to we hold on to this view of life you know because we all know that life is is a gift from god that it's a sin to want death it's a sin to want to you know die um but there comes a point when the theology of it just kind of goes out the door, where it's so bad that you just stop thinking and you just start feeling, you know. And I've, I've definitely been there. I know other people who have. But here's what I want to say. I guess this is a point that we may not always um, long for death. And, I'm, and if you haven't longed for death, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing if you can't relate to the experience of Job or, or my relation or, or Bob's experience. But we do all long for an end of suffering. I think that's something that everyone can relate to. Um, I remember when I had the f- stomach flu as a— uh, I was about 10 years old, and I asked my mom probably the first theological question I ever asked, which is, that, why doesn't God just hear me of my barfing <laughs> and, uh, and of, my, of my vomiting, of my barfing? You know, I was, I was, I was really – I was sick to the stomach, and I was crying out to God in, as, as a 10-year-old can, you know, and my mom and, – uh, and my mom gave me a really tough answer uh, because that's a tough answer because that's saying, God, where is God in my suffering, you know, and even if it's just as common as a stomach flu or, you know. Um, but uh, I certainly long for an ending to my <laughs> to my suffering. To this day, by the way, uh, the stomach flu is among my least favorite sicknesses. Um, I would rather do anything than <laughs> stomach flu. So let me uh, go on. So <clears throat> I'll just move on to Job uh, the, uh, verses 11 through 12, Job 6. So what strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Is my strength that of stone or my flesh made of bronze? So here in these uh, verses, Job is saying two things. Um, when he says, you know, do I, what strength do I have that I should continue to hope? Or what was my future that I should be patient? Uh, he's not actually asking questions and saying these things. He's actually justifying his condition to his friends. And he's giving an account, just a transparent account of his lack of strength. He's, he's, he's stating it in questions to be rhetorical, but he's actually making a statement. And I think this is fundamentally hard for us to understand. Um, the passage echoes like a, a lot of the rest of Job, which is, again, uh, all true, but based on the context, it's true for different circumstances, different seasons, different moments of your life. So on the surface, Job appears to be in the wrong and his friends in the right, uh, but the rest of the story says otherwise. So Job is not lying by being completely honest about how bad his situation is. Um, I, I can go over it again. 
his children had died. And he had been afflicted with some sort of demonic physical manifestation, and his wife had just told him to basically curse God so that God kills him. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. Uh, so he's not lying about how bad things are. And it's, and it's not a sin for us to acknowledge that when things are really, really hard, they're really hard. You know, we don't have to lie about that. Um, so Job is not lying, uh, nor is he sinning. Uh, he's simply giving an account of how he feels. Uh, in contrast to Job, and this is kind of where we hit at home, we actually do have a hope. Um, the Apostle Paul says that the gospel has brought us the light of knowledge of immortality in Second Timothy first or Second Timothy one um, ten. So we actually do have a hope. We have a hope that transcends our experience, that transcends our knowledge. We know that there is an eternity, that Christ is coming back soon. Um, if we do die, we know that there is a resurrection. Um, we know that there's a heaven. But yet, this is an important part for us, is that our knowledge of the future is only partial. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 10, that our, we know in parts and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect shall pass away. Even with the gift of prophecy, how a prophecy unfolds remains a complete mystery to us. Um, how many people here have had prophecies that have not come to pass? Did anyone raise their hand? Okay, Jeremy. <laughs> I think everyone here, virtually everyone here has had prophecies that have not come to pass. How many people would actually say that they've had a, a prophetic word that actually didn't come true when it was supposed to? Um, I can speak for myself. Jeremy can speak. Um, so our knowledge of prophecy is partial. And um, our knowledge about the course of our lives just in the human realm, is also um, out of sight. We don't know how our lives are going to transpire. I don't know what's going to happen to me next year. You know, I don't know what kind of job I'll have. I don't know where I'll be in life. So like Job, we often lack the necessary patience or endurance to persevere through times of hardship. But nevertheless, Job does conclude much of his suffering with a knowledge of final things. Uh, in Job 19.25, near the midpoint of his suffering, he has that famous statement which says, I know that my Redeemer lives, which is a great R&B song. If anyone <laughs> hears that on Christian radio, there's a very popular R&B song for that verse. Uh, but Job, Job doesn't necessarily have a revelation of heaven, but he knows that God is eternal, that God lives, and that God is a Redeemer, even though, again, we don't have any concrete evidence of redemption in Job's life at that point in the book of Job. So here are three things for discussion, and we can discuss these together. I don't know if you want to I think we have a pretty small group. Go ahead, Steve. So Job didn't have knowledge of his redemption until the end of the book. So in other words, he did not see or know that his suffering would end in anything other than death, which is the depth of the, yeah, the, depth of the passage. So that's, that's what I meant to say. So um, anyway, so there are three things, that I, I, uh, three things for us to discuss, and I don't know if you want to bring up in small groups. We could, we could probably have it just with this group here. Um, but there's three things we want to discuss. Um, Hebrews 13.3 tells us to remember those who suffer as though suffering with them. How do we relate to those who suffer? Um, the second question is, how does Job's suffering help us to understand the mindset of nonbelievers? Um, I sat down with, uh, I think it was John Thorson about this uh, theme, and he said that, um, he said that he had atheist friends who were shocked to find out that the book of Job is in the Bible, um, that a lot of it actually strikes, uh, it sounds like kind of philosophy you get out of an <laughs> intro to philosophy class in college. Um, so how does Job's suffering help us to understand the mindsets of nonbelievers and people who, are, I would add to that, people who go through a lot of suffering. 
And then I would say thirdly, uh, our very own Paul Anderson reminds us to upgrade our trust in the sovereignty of God <laughs> uh, when suffering comes. So how do we upgrade our trust in the sovereignty of God when we can't see the end of suffering? So that's an important question. But that is all I have for today. So we can go ahead and split up into groups. And yeah, go ahead, Steve. Suffering, yeah. Sorrow and, sorrow and grief, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, this was years ago, and my son had surgery, and he was five years old. So 25 years ago, God brought me to Christ. And uh, because I know I had had some issues, because people are like, oh, that's not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And all of a sudden, it was a Sunday morning. We're in the bathroom, getting ready for church. I'm shaving after some, and my son stops me and shouts. He goes, hey, Dad, I want to speak to you about him. Very well. He turned around for me. Put my hand in his shirt, and I said, that's not your body. That's your mind. He goes, hey, Ash, I'm sick of your whole head in here. It's not right. And I got the cartoon hammer on the head, you know. <laughs> and I said, okay, Mike, I'm sorry. And I turned it yeah. over for him. And God was just showing me, you sit here and you, you, you get one second of somebody's life. Yeah. Oh, that's not so tough. But when your whole head is in it, and you're living it, like it's the problem of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that that brings up a good point. Thanks for sharing, Steve. Um, sometimes we just don't try hard in our culture. I think that's part of it. We're very individualistic, um, and we don't put much thought to really put ourselves in the shoes of someone who has gone through a lot of suffering. Um, I heard a lecture. This is a little bit, a little bit nerdy, but I heard a lecture on Martin Luther at one point, and there was a professor who was delivering a lecture and he was thinking about the history of the medieval medieval times that, that medicine by and large didn't exist. It was very primitive at that point and that people would die and not know what they died of. I mean, legitimately didn't know about bacteria or viruses or where they came from, what caused them. And the plague was act, the black plague was raging in Europe at the time of Luther. And the professor said something really interesting is he said, we don't know what it's like to be in the shoes of Martin Luther. We don't know what it's like to be on the on the uh, precipice of eternity, the way the people were in Luther's day. Um, especially as you know, you can think of kind of Roman Catholicism and different uh, purgatory preachings and hell preachings and all that. But there are certain things that exist in Luther's day that if we just read about it, we'll never we'll never make sense of it. And I think meditating on it and thinking about it, we start to realize the brevity of somebody else's experience that we personally, that we might not have ourselves. So I think you're absolutely right, Steve. And I think it doesn't, it shouldn't prevent someone from really wanting to understand someone else. So it shouldn't, shouldn't prevent us from trying, but it should cause us to, to, to be patient uh, in hearing somebody out regarding their pain. Yeah.
are something that we've really struggled with being as one and I think as Brad and Lee say, I think it's time for just like truly be going for it. So here's a tent piece. We we've known seven people that have been hunting in our tent. And that's how young we are. The youngest one. Are you are you uh, are you born in Mansur? Like that's mm-hmm. that kind of background music? Okay. Mm-hmm. And Mansur was scary, right? Like to say that the ungodliness of our society has been increasing and increasing. So there's more depression people who are trying to suicide and oftentimes people who are in, in there they don't get the help they, they need and they never really have a conversation with people to start to process and if the kids don't start processing these really horrible experiences with people and entering into them and entering love and other human beings love starts to enter into that pain that's what builds life mm-hmm. okay so th- this message is kind of scary you know it's kind of a but it's really important. And I help out at a prayer ministry at Northwestern College. These people are coming from Christian families. They're coming from uh, middle to upper class families. And there is a message that was given on anxiety and depression. And it seems to me that the majority of the people who were there were struggling with depression. And that was surprising to me. And, and so I, I think to myself, Christianity, the way the way the church is, is done, is so consumer oriented now, it's so I mean you feel the blah blah blah. Um, there should be joy in the Christian life. Um, but if if people are suffering to this degree like this many, these kind of messages need to be shared. Suicide and depression, those things need to be communicated by leaders and, and space has to be made to allow people to start being vulnerable. I'm not a loser. Um, I'm not a failure because I'm depressed or I'm suicidal. No, I'm just a broken human being, and they need really bad stuff that's done to me that hurts me mentally, right? So my hope is that uh, maybe some of us have been through something, and, and if we've overcome it or we're overcoming it, we know the authority and influence we can have to literally save people's lives, mm-hmm. right? You love somebody. Share your experience. You give them hope. You love them through it. You, you connect with them in the delivery. Mm-hmm. And you point them to Jesus. You put your arm around them. And you say, hey, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have any comments? I know yeah. we're trending depression, suicide, depression.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would not ca cause you to be tempted more than you can endure. Right, right, right. yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Kathy. And I, I was going to say that the, the verse about temptation, that is one of the cliche verses that's thrown around. Uh, temptation. Yeah, maybe that applies to temptation. I don't think it applies to suffering. Um, I don't think that you'll ever get the promise of God is that you'll never be you'll never suffer beyond which you can endure. Well, if you die, that kind of has to do with. And <laughs> I mean, you kind of break in that point, obviously. And there are plenty of people who have died, uh, Christians who have died of starvation. Uh, and, and, you know, it's it's not a promise that we won't endure really, really, really bad suffering, it is a promise that we can resist temptation. But that's different. I think that's a, a different category altogether. Um, uh, so, but thanks for sharing that. I really do appreciate it. And there's, there's a, there are a number of really interesting passages in Job, uh, one of which is actually shortly after the, the message that I just read. He who withholds kindness from a friend uh, forsakes the fear of the Almighty. And in the context of what it's referring to, uh, what Job is referring to is that his friends were not kind. Um, they were giving him really bad advice. They were calling him out on sins that he had not committed. And he was saying, you're withholding kindness from me, even though you're attempting to give me good advice. You're giving me bad advice because you're not listening <laughs> to the source of my pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really good. So thank you for sharing that. Like right. There is no affirming, no affirming whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
and that was the that was the whole reason we came on the show. We were you know, I thought it was a very good idea. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and then the book of Job is a book that calls you to, um, I think Christians struggle with this, and I, I hear you saying, Molly, is that Christians struggle with reality, and that, that's kind of a, that's a broad statement to make. What I mean by that is that Christians struggle with not uh, taking someone, forcing someone outside of the experience that they're in. And so if someone is in a position of suffering and they're just told to, to you know, wipe a smile on their face, you know, that's not going to work. Or to draw a smile, I guess. <laughs> wipe the smile off, put the smile on. Um, similarly, there are churches you can go to where uh, they are negative all the time. And there are Christians I know, I've been there, <laughs> just negative all the time, and, uh, and seek to kind of invite p- Christians into a, you know, misery loves company. You know, you guys have heard the phrase. And uh, and so it's like an almost an evangelistic, you know, desire to, to, to share the, you know, the bad, which I again, it sounds weird now. Believe me, it does exist. <laughs> it does exist. Um, so the idea the idea that I think it, it, in the book of Job is the central theological point of the book of Job is that um, reality is hard to to when when someone goes through suffering because you don't know the source. When when you don't know the source, you can't make a prescription, uh, per se. You can't say, you know, I have exactly what you need. Now, broadly speaking, we do have what people need. We need we have we have Christ. But here's the problem: Christ never guaranteed an immediate end of suffering, and I think that that's part of the problem. So part of the problem is lack of understanding. Part of it is um, that people want to escape. They're they're in a different stage of life, and they want to make make sure everyone is in the same stage of life. And that's not the case. And I would say that applies also to people who are going through good times, that there are naysayers who, either out of jealousy or out of anger or frustration, they don't want other people to enjoy good things. And so they'll actually, you know, ran everybody's parade and try to get them negative. And that's also bad, you know. So that that really isn't – but that does have to do with Job in the sense that Job doesn't want the, – the message of the book of Job is uh, is real, and it's it's at the very gut level. And so, yeah, so his friends trying to cheer him up. Now is not the time to cheer. Um, but eventually, you know, if you keep reading the book of Job, which I would encourage everyone to do, it eventually does turn out good. So, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen.
birthday and the cart comes flying to you and you think to yourself, oh, there's the pretzel. So you you look too and you look at the news cart and it's very sad. He knows it's you. He knows you made the mistake. And he's more than happy to give you whatever you want to eat and accept it. And so often, rather than shame, it's mercy. It's mercy. That that is that's one of the beautiful things about who Jesus is and the love that he shows to you and grace. He shows us our stuff so we can see what he shows us so that we can learn. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh Go ahead, CJ. Okay. Yeah. I think that was what Paul was mentioning last week about the Chinese church and the suffering and that they, they're really strong and that it's a qual- some some Chinese churches. Now, you don't necessarily say all because obviously there's, there's a lot. China, China is the biggest, <laughs> most populous country in the world. But um, uh, yeah, th- some some churches require pastors to have jail time before they become pastors because it's just the, the, the suffering that they will endure. They're almost almost certain to endure. Uh, but here's what I will say, because I know a lot of us maybe are too young to really experience a lot of suffering, and that's a good thing. I don't necessarily, I don't think it's a bad thing to not be in a stage of suffering. Um, I would say that the really Im- the good thing for this message, as well as the book of Job and the life of Christ, and obviously the whole Bible is full of suffering, um, is that uh, when you are uh, witnessing uh, or when you're in a place of sharing your faith with friends or relatives or coworkers, um, to study suffering. And, and what I mean by that is that um, we can be a little bit sheltered in the Christian world, especially if you listen to Christian radio. <laughs> you get the impression that people are just happy all the time, 24-7. Um, and studying suffering is something we don't do well in the church, uh, unfortunately. And um, I don't think you have to be in a place of depression or suicide or agony uh, in order to be able to relate or at least try to relate to suffering more. And I think that the great thing about the Bible and the book of Job in particular is that it is a thesis on suffering. It's it's a book on suffering, and if you really want to be able to relate to people, uh, yeah, I would try meditating through passages like the book of Job or like in Hebrews uh, where it's all about suffering. And so that's a valuable tool, and I, I really do think it helps our evangelism to be able to do that because um, I think one of the unfortunate realities of Christian culture is that we do project just positivity all the time. And uh, and I just don't think that anything could be further from the truth. So in the Christian life, so yeah, go ahead. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
Yeah. Go, Andy. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yep. All right. Yeah, good good thought. Thanks for sharing that, Andy. Uh so being near to people will give you uh rapport and it'll give you understanding, hopefully more understanding about suffering. 
the Holy Spirit, also being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, will give you revelation. Uh, there are times that people milk. Uh, the, you know, Paul talks about the victimhood mentality a lot. People like to milk their pain to try to get things out of life. Um, the Holy Spirit will bring that sort of thing to mind. Uh, but there's suffering that has nothing to do with victim mentality. And I think that that's an important point you bring. And, and unless you're near to people and near to God, uh, vis-a-vis the Holy Spirit, sometimes you won't be able to make that that judgment call. So people just kind of default to saying, you know, uh, just do it my way, you know, and, and things will be okay. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I guess I'd like to end, and then we can get into groups and, and pray again for how we can do we um, – get that pulled up again uh do we relate to people in suffering and the second thing of course how can we um uh, upgrade our trust in the sovereignty of god when suffering is is there and what i want to do is i want to end on kind of a doxological note doxology in greek if you know greek some some greek speakers here that know a doc doxes means glory in greek so it's just a passage to leave us kind of on a high note um when it comes to suffering it's from revelation and it's to the uh to the church in Philadelphia, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write from, write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. So blessed blessings to all of you, and I pray that you'll overcome in suffering and that God will give you the grace to endure through suffering. Yeah. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And if people need prayer, thanks, Alex, for coming. Have a blessed week. Don't suffer too much. Um,